All right, did, you know, we're, we're in 2023 officially now. I've been there for a couple months. I consistently have, writ- have written down 2023. I've been married an extra year than I've been married a couple times this past month. When people are like, how long have you been married? I'm like, 23 years. I'm like, it will be 23 this next year. But so as you look at 2022, as we kind of look back, did it completely go according to your plans? Anybody? Anybody have a year where everything went ideally according to your plans? Raise your hand. Ohio State fans, did last year go according to your plans? Definitely one of my plans was not having the kicker miss the kick last night. That was not according to my plans as a as a fan. In my own house, my own family, we had, uh, we had our first broken bone amongst a child. That was not in the plans. Uh, that was preceded by some pretty good stitches, uh, not according to the plans. I ended the year getting hurt, not according to plan. But even on more serious matters, I've had friends diagnosed with cancer, not according to plans. I mean, the list goes on and on. I've seen marriage problems. I've seen this. I've seen that. A lot of those things would never have been written in uh, my, my plans for the people that I care for. But as I also look back at last year, I see pleasant surprises. <laughs> I see God meeting needs. I see relationships that have been restored. I see new friendships. I see my kids thrive. And see, and that's kind of, isn't that life? That this world, our experiences, trials and tribulations, weaknesses are a certain element to what we are going to experience in 2023 because they were what we experienced in 2022, 2021, 2020. You get the picture. But here's the beauty. In the midst of these difficulties, God's grace is sufficient He's going to be enough for you. He was enough last year. And he's going to be enough for you this year. We can count on it. His grace is sufficient. If you're going to take notes, we're going to simply break down the passage. First of all, we're going to consider that our certain weaknesses in this life. We're going to look at our certain weaknesses in this life. That life is going to be a difficulty this side of heaven. And what is God doing in the midst of them? And then secondly, we're going to see that God has some clear work in our weaknesses. That God has clear work in our weaknesses. Well, let's get started as we begin with our certain weaknesses in this life. Now, I've historically uh, did a sermon off of whatever uh, series we're doing come the first week of January. Uh, or right, right before it, just, it's, this, it's the New Year's sermon. And the reason I do it is because I think it's a great time in our lives to take a break, to kind of pause for a moment. And I, I like to do both. I like to look back at the last year, and then I also like to look ahead at the future. So as I was kind of thinking through and praying about it, the passage that kept coming back to me was this passage— It would amaze me as I thought about it for the number of years. Covenant is going on year number 18. I've never preached this passage. I I was like, am I I sure? 
Did I not? I look back at all my records. I was like, I've never preached this passage. However, it's one of my favorite passages, one of those uh, passages that I have memorized for many years. So I'm excited to go through it. Uh, We do need to briefly discuss context of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is written to who? The church of Corinth. And they are what? They are a mess. So you got to remember, that's the context. And then specifically in 2 Corinthians, Paul was dealing with some imposters that were at the church. Uh, if you look at commentaries, they often call them super and put, ex, put quotes on it, super apostles. That these, these people in, who were there were, were trying to usurp Paul's authority, were, were trying to question the validity of Paul's claim as an apostle, that he's not really apostle, we're apostles. So Paul is addressing that, and then he gets very biographical, very personal as we get to chapter 12. Well, as we look at these certain uh, weaknesses in this life, I want us to see that he has purposes. God has purposes. Read verse 1 to 7 with me again. He says, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. So he he is going to compete with these super apostles who are talking trash with him, who are bragging, who are saying, Paul's not an apostle. Paul's like, all right, game on. You want to talk like that, I'll go there. I'll share how unique, how special I am when it comes to these things that they're boasting about. So he tells a story, and he's talking in third person here. Understand that. The person he's talking about is himself. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows, and I know this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows, and he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my behalf, I will not boast, except by my weakness, though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. So he's sharing, like, this happened to me. I experienced this. So if somebody's got room to brag, if somebody should feel pretty special, it's not these super apostles, it should be me because I had this this supernatural spiritual experience with God. But then notice what he says. He doesn't want anybody to think more of him than he sees in him or hears from me. But then in verse 7 he says, so to keep me from being conceited, becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. First of all, do you see the danger of pride? These super apostles, they were arrogant, they were prideful, they were questioning Paul's credentials. Paul, kind of an impressive man at least from our angle. Kind of somebody that had reason to boast if you're going to boast. But God knew. Paul knew the potential for conceit, for arrogance. We, one of the, the gifts we, we got for the stockings for our kids, for the younger kids, is we got these, we were at Walmart, these big balls that blew up. Terrible idea terrible idea. It's like, why did we do that? One, we couldn't get them to inflate, first of all. So like they got this big and are like, ooh, that was impressive. But then they got big and they were huge. They were, I'm not joking, like this far. 
and like this is in my house. Sure enough, stuff gets knocked over. Eventually, one got uh, got a hole in it. Kids are fighting over. It's my ball. It's not ball. But you see the danger. You got this big ball in a, in a in a house with with glasses and everything else. It, it's dangerous. Well, that's kind of like the danger of you and I when it comes to pride. You see, we have the tendency that our pride swells up our heads. Our, 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 our pride from successes can, can cause us to drink the Kool-Aid. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before stumbling. One of the greatest examples in the Bible of pride and arrogance is in the book of Daniel. It's King who? King Nebuchadnezzar. And he looks out at the kingdom. He says, look at the kingdom that who built? That I built. And that's our tendency when we have success. God knows the danger of the human heart. God knows that success, victory, ease, comfort, and yeses often lead to you and I being self-sufficient, independent, and in no need of anything. So I have to ask us, are you in danger right now of that? And God's providence is life going maybe too smoothly for you. That doesn't seem possible when like, I, I, Joe, I would love that to be my problem right now. But if you take it seriously though, once things are going well and you don't have problems financially and you don't have problems health and you don't have problems relationally and you don't have problems here and there. The danger is what? I don't need God right now. I'm good. God knew that. Paul knew that. So we see not only the dangers of pride, the humbling of affliction. So notice what it says. To keep me from becoming conceited. A thorn was given me to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. So we start seeing that God has a purpose in the thorns in the flesh. God has a purpose in trials. God has a purpose in tribulation. God has a purpose in affliction. God has a purpose in financial difficulties. God has a purpose in relational conflict. God has a purpose in, you name it, whatever the weakness, whatever the trial, there's a reason. Don't you remember the book of Job? Satan is going to and fro, and God says to Satan, have you considered Job? And he's like, the only reason Job is like he is is because life is good. The moment you start changing that, he's not going to be that way. And God said, you can't take his life, but go ahead. You're seeing that God has a purpose. Romans 8, 28. God works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to their purpose. And what happens in affliction is it awakens you to your need for help. It's always humbling. I literally, maybe once a week, I'll be up in the, the weight room, gym area, and somebody will think they're stronger than they are, and they will get stuck on the bench, and the barbell will be there, and they are struggling to get the weight off of them. 
And a lot of the times when that happens, though, the person still does not want to ask for help because it's embarrassing. So you'll see the person twisting their body. Sometimes if they didn't put clamps on where the weights are, you can hear the weights falling off onto the ground, making this huge commotion because heaven forbid they said, hey, bud, can you come over and help me out? And you see, what God does with our weaknesses, what God does with our trials, is you and I are on the bench, the weight is crushing us, and God says, I want you to just say, hey, can you get the weight off of me? Can you help me out? James 1, 2 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and steadfastness has its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I know in the moment it does not feel like that, but affliction is good for you. Trials are good for you. Suffering, persecution is good for you. Adversity is good for you. Because God is humbling in you in this situation. So even as I shared earlier and I asked that question, has 2022 went according to plan? How has God humbled you in this past year? What has God taught you through the trials and tribulations of this world? Because not only does he have purposes, he will often prolong. Go to verse 8 with me. Here's Paul. He's got this messenger of Satan. He's got this thorn. It's tormenting him. And it says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient. What does Paul want in this moment? He wants relief. Now, we don't know what the thorn in the flesh is. Everybody speculates. One of the, the ones that makes a lot of sense, you start piecing together things that Paul wrote, it was a physical ailment. It might have been something even related to his eyes. He had some eye ailment or disease, and he, it made him very difficult to see, and it might even have been gross in appearance. We don't know. We're, we're speculating nonetheless. Uh, but whatever it was, this problem, it tormented Paul. It was a nuisance. It harassed him. It bothered him. And he desperately wanted God to remove it. And we can relate, right? Are those things in your life that you're like, God, please remove this. Remove this person. Remove these circumstances. Remove these symptoms. I guarantee as I look out here, there is not a single person in here that likes a headache. Anybody? I mean, you don't wake up and like, I have a migraine. This is awesome. And as the day is going on, like, I'm not, I hope and pray it doesn't go away. I hope it kind of intensifies. I wanted to get to the point where I can barely see and maybe even get a little nauseous. And then it just kind of ride that out for the day, right? No, nobody. What do we do? We take Tylenol. We take ibuprofen. We lay down. We go in the dark. We're like, we're just, we're pleading, God, please. Even right now in winter, in a cold season, we've had tons of colds and sickness. Nobody's like, man, I hope this goes a couple extra days. We just, we want the cough to go away. We want the feelings of soreness to go away. And it's not wrong. Understand this. Please get this. It's not wrong that Paul wants that relief. It's not. It's human of him. And notice who he goes to for the relief. That's another beautiful thing in Paul here. 
He doesn't go to other people. He doesn't go this way or that. Who does he go to? He goes to the right place. To the Lord, to Yahweh. He's like, God, please remove this. Not one time, not two times, but three times. Because he knows that God is the God. If there's going to be relief, it's going to come from God. Isaiah 41.10, he says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. As I look out at you guys today, I know there are some of you that very much feel like you have a thorn in the flesh. You have circumstances in your life right now that are vexing, that are exhausting, that are wearing you out. And if you had your way, God would remove those circumstances from you. Do you long for relief today? Do you long for rest? Do you long for peace? We want relief, but here's what we end up getting is what God teaches him. We get resilience. Three times to God, he asks the thorn to leave. And God says what each time? Our favorite word for children from their parents. What? What's that word? No, no. I mean, think about it. We, we struggle with this theologically, don't we? Because we say God is love. And if he loves me, he's not going to let me suffer. If God really cares about me, he's going to give me what I want. Parents, is that good parenting? If you always gave your kid everything they want. You're at the store, and every time they ask for something, you're obligated to say, yes, put it in the cart. No, that's not good parenting. That's enabling. And God doesn't parent us like that. He's got the big picture in mind, and God will say no. Psalm 84, 11, though, it confuses us because it says the Lord is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And yet part of that not withholding good things is no's. He gives no's. God's wisdom, God's purposes. We look at the Bible, we, we read his stories in the Bible, and we see God say no all the time, right? Lazarus' family comes, Jesus Lazarus, you love him. He's dying. And God says, okay, I'm going to stay there for two more days. That's God saying no. He didn't rush. He didn't immediately heal him. Abraham, Sarah, they desperately wanted a child. God said no for how many years? 25 years before they actually had that child. You see, God produces resilience. He has a plan and a purpose. So I want to ask you, and I want you to be thinking and processing through this, could God be at work in his nose right now in your life? Those things that you so desperately want removed, those things that you so desperately want God to give you, could he be at work? Could he be having a plan and a purpose unfolding that is so far better for you than what you and your very narrow vision and focus think is best for you.
It's because we see these certain weaknesses. There's purposes beyond it. He often prolongs them. And here's what we see. God is at work. There's clear work in our weaknesses. It's fertile soil to see the Lord. First of all, we will find sufficient grace. Read verse 9 with me. Love these words. These words. He says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. God's grace is enough. It's the reason God says no so that Paul can experience his grace. If God says yes, relieves the thorn, he doesn't get to experience the grace. You see the tension. And God is convinced, and he knows better than you and I, it's going to be far better for Paul to experience the grace than to experience the relief. So he allows it to prolong. And he's got enough. It says it's, it's sufficient. You and I live in a life where we also often don't have sufficient. Right? Maybe you're at the ATM. Maybe you tried to charge something on your credit card and it says insufficient funds. We can relate with that. Maybe you have a project or something due and you have such a limited time to do it, you don't have enough what? Time. Maybe there's certain circumstances that you come up against and you don't have the ability to do what you need to do. That this is outside of you. Well, friends, here's something that you and I can never say. I don't have enough of God's grace. Because his grace is always sufficient. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is common to man. God is faithful and he will, let you, he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Friends, I think what we're not appreciating, what you and I are often not paying attention to, is the glorious truth that God's grace is abundant in our lives and in our circumstances. The Spirit is constantly working in our midst, allowing us to see rightly, to respond rightly, to act rightly. So I think there's a a confession that we need to make probably here in this moment that we're ignoring God's grace. You see, you and I, we get so fixated in the circumstance, the weakness, the trial, the tribulation, whatever it is, that we don't realize the only reason that we're enduring it right now is the God's grace. He is the one who's doing it. But not only is his grace enough, his grace enables Listen to that. It says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That you and I, when we are weak, that is the best possible scenario for you and I, because then we get to see God at work. Desperate times force a dependence upon God. We have nowhere else to go but God. I mean, just imagine all those old TV shows that you would see and somebody would step into quicksand as if quicksand is everywhere. 
and they would fall in and all of a sudden they'd slowly start sinking and sinking. But then once it came to the point that your arms were underneath the quicksand, it did not look good for whoever the character was in the story or movie, correct? It was a point of absolute desperation. And I think what God likes to do in our lives is put us in the quicksand, get us to the point where our hands are beneath it, and we can do nothing about it, and then God steps in and carries us out. 2 Corinthians 1, so same letter, remember that. Verse 8, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Listen to Paul's words. He's not being dramatic. He's not writing this for kind of show. He's serious. He says, ministry was tough. Life was tough. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But then notice what he says. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And I think what I, I want to encourage you and myself is we need to stop looking around and start looking up. We need to stop dwelling on the horrific circumstances that we all face in different capacities. And we need to start fixating and focusing on the creator who rules and reigns over those circumstances. He's the one that we set our hope in. He's the one that the spirit is working uh, on our behalf to empower, to persevere, well, you're relying on him today. Are you leaning on him? Are you pleading with him? Because friends, there's sufficient grace out there. It's, it's here right now. We need to start seeing it. But not only do we find sufficient grace, we find sure strength. He goes on, therefore, I'm going to boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ. Then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Not only do we find sufficient grace, we find sure strength. You see the beauty of what God is doing, that his power is made perfect in weakness. Translation, God gets the glory in our weakness as he empowers us. If we're strong in and of ourselves, who gets the glory? You and I, not God. What's more impressive? Some 350 pound, six foot eight, muscles everywhere guy coming up here lifting 500 pounds in front of us, or a three year old coming up here and lifting 200 pounds? What's more impressive? Okay, it's a pretty easy answer. It's the three-year-old. Because three-year-olds, at least in my household, don't lift 200 pounds. It would seem like there's something different about this three-year-old. This guy is, is a living, breathing steroid. Not that impressive. Impressive in the sense that he's strong. He probably could eat me or kill me. But like this guy, this little dude, like that's supernatural. And you see, that's what God does with our weaknesses. I mean, have you seen Christians who endure horrible, horrible situations and they persevere through it with the light of Christ? And people are like, I don't even understand. Like, I feel like I would be medicated. I feel like I would be in the hospital. I, I couldn't deal with what you're dealing with and you're dealing with it with grace and mercy. And guess why that's the case? Because God's strength is made perfect in 
our weakness. Isaiah 40, verse 29. He gives power to the faint. To him who has no might, he increases strength. This is God's practice. He already told the Corinthians about this in his first letter. 1 Corinthians 1.27, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised, even the things that are not, to bring nothing that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Can you testify this morning to God's work in your weaknesses? Can you look back, even in this last year, and say, wow, I made it through that. But you're even hesitant to say, I made it through it because I really didn't make it through it. God kind of got me through it. And I'm, I'm amazed because that's what God does. There's a beauty of what God's doing. But then notice what he goes on and says, I'm going to boast in what God is doing. And it's really such a change of attitude, do you see, in such a, a matter of short verses. We start with him. He's got this thorn in the flesh. And what does he do to God? He pleads with God. Please remove it. Please remove it. Please remove it. God says, no, no, no. And then he stops pleading. Instead, he starts praising. He starts saying, okay, I'm okay with this. Maybe not how I ideally would write my life. I think Paul would fairly say that. But you know what? If this is what is better for me, I'll trust you, God. It's a night and day difference. We've, we, we use that analogy, night and day, like darkness to light. You maybe have talked to somebody and they were in this one particular uh, kind of attitude and then literally it felt like a switch happened and all of a sudden they were different. And that's what we see here. That God has done a work in Paul's heart and mind and he says, okay. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. I have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. You see, God's getting the glory, so Paul is excited to see God get the glory. Rather than obstacles, he sees these as divine opportunities. So I have to ask is, how is God going to manifest his strength in our lives this year? Are you boasting in him today? Are you, are you looking at your circumstances, though challenging, though at times overwhelming, are you looking at them and saying, you know what, God's got this. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose. And I'm actually excited to see what God's going to do in the midst of this. That there's kind of an anticipation. Like you and I waiting for a, a surprise party that you think's happening. You're not sure if it's going to happen. And you're just kind of like, do you have that kind of anticipation of God? Because we should, because of our track record with him. So it's day one of 2023. We look out at this year, I think, with a very limited view. We don't know what awaits us. I think with how we started our time, I, th I think we, we, it's safe to say it's going to be filled with pleasant surprises, successes, victories. It's also going to be filled with disappointments, no's. Trials and tribulations. Good and bad, right? 2023 is going to be like that. And 2020, until Jesus returns, that's going to be our life. Fallen, broken world, par for the course. But I think as we look ahead, 
There's never going to be a time in 2023 where God gets caught off guard. There is no point where God is going to fall asleep at the wheel. Your life is going to go into chaos. He's going to wake up and like, oh my goodness, I didn't mean for that to happen. I'll try to fix it. You see, that's not God. He is the master conductor. He is carrying out his plans, his purposes. You'll never be in a place ultimately where God couldn't have stopped you being in that place. I love this. I've shared this quote with many of you over the years. One of my favorite quotes by Charles Spurgeon. Uh, He was a man who was acquainted with physical suffering, mental anguish, persecution. Uh, he, he, He had a hard life for the sake of the gospel. I love this quote. Listen to it. It says, remember this. If any other condition had been better for you than the one in which you are in, divine love would have put you there. So think about that. Right now, whatever circumstance that you are currently enduring, and you know that circumstance. We might not all know, but you know. If any other condition had been better for you than the one in which you are in, divine love would have put you there. You are placed by God in the most suitable circumstance. And if you could choose your lot, you would soon cry to the Lord, choose my heritage for me. For by my own self-will, I am pierced through with many sorrows. Friends, you sit here today and you think, if I could, I would change these circumstances. Friends, at the end of the day, I trust, trust me when I say this, you would end up in circumstances that would be far worse for you than you're in now. Far less beneficial, far less God-glorifying, and you would look back and say, man, I wish I would have stayed in those circumstances because in those circumstances, I got to see God at work. And that's far more superior than any relief that you and I experience today. Friends, you will experience difficulties this year. Trials, tribulations, weaknesses are going to take center stage. But in the midst of these, here's what we have to be reminded of. God's grace is going to be sufficient. Look back at 2022. Was God's grace sufficient? As we look ahead to 223, God's grace is going to be sufficient. I want you to say it with me. His grace is sufficient for me. Let's pray. God, we come before you right now, and very much like the one father in the gospel, we believe but help us in our unbelief. In the moment, we can get caught up emotionally and say, yes, His grace is sufficient for me. But then we go out and experience life. And at times due to our unbelief, at times due to blindness, at times due to fear, doubt, anxiety, your grace doesn't seem sufficient. We seem overwhelmed. We we seem unable to endure the obstacle at hand. Oh, we thank you, God, for your patience. We thank you for your slow to anger, abounding in love and steadfastness with us wayward sinners. But we do pray. I pray for each and every person here today as we look out at this next year that each day 
your grace would be sufficient. As the book of Lamentations says, your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Help us to see that, experience it, and know it all the way through this year. We look forward to and we anticipate seeing you do great things in our life because your grace is sufficient. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.